whether it's a black man looking down on a red man or a white man looking down on a brown man, it you can't be, it's Jesus and justice, not Jesus or justice. It's Jesus and justice. season two of the Shades of Hope podcast. These are frank conversations between two friends who are committed to the role of the church in the work of racial justice. These conversations will help you understand how Jesus's life and ministry were about justice for all people and will inspire you to actively engage in the work of reconciliation and justice wherever you find yourself. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of the Shades of Hope podcast. We are so grateful that you have gone on this journey with us. It has been a journey for Pastor Moore and I, and we're just grateful for the listenership and for the support. And Pastor Moore, it's just so good to be with you again today. Yes, I'm excited. Season two has been an amazing, amazing journey with you and with all of the incredible, what should I say, guests that doesn't seem to to categorize or to describe the amazing dialogue we had, Pastor Jeff, with so many great folk from around the country. Yes. Yeah. And such a diverse group of people doing so many different things. And yet the through line for all of it seemed like gospel. Right, it, it just was good news. <laughs> Absolutely, from every angle where it came, we were encountering the good news of the fellowship of the Spirit that happens when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And it just felt like we had friends that we had no idea existed when we were able to have a conversation with them about Jesus and justice. And you're right, just rich. I guest is the wrong word. Maybe friends, colleagues co-laborers, I don't know. Scholars, practitioners in this arena of justice. It was just an amazing array of individuals, like you said, from all walks of life, but all in love with Jesus. Yes. And looking in their spaces and in their places, trying to move the needle on behalf of our Savior through the church Yep. toward more equitable and just society. Which, you know, some people don't know why we even started this podcast, maybe. And maybe if we just did a little reflection, I mean, that's that's really what our heart is, is yes. encouraging the church to be the bride of Christ, to be yeah. the representative of God's reconciliation in the world. And two and a half, three years ago, when we sat down with the folks from the Center for Congregations, the question was, how do we take our private conversations and use them as public witness and invitation? Absolutely. And I think what we found is that there's a lot of us out there, you know? Yeah. It's not just me and you. There's actually a lot of people out there who are putting their hand to the plow and working toward... Dr. King's vision of the beloved community. And so I think even for us, for me personally, it was just encouraging to hear from others who are as passionate and as committed 
to the theological work of justice as we have become. Absolutely. You know, the first day I looked across the table at what we were engaged in, this conversation around the formative power of your congregation and how congregations form or meet the needs of the constituency that come and sit in those pews and in those chairs on Sunday morning and how Mm -hmm. those stories from childhood on through, how the church itself helped people and the person navigate life. And in the African-American experience, the church, the black church, has been our place of hope. When we were beaten down and when we were nobodies, we could always be somebody at church. Mm-hmm. And then I looked across the table and I'm looking at you and hearing you talk about how you as a white evangelical pastor wanted to understand better how your congregation, which is predominantly white, could step into the gap and help better our relationship here in Indianapolis, our two churches, as we, you know, try to bring forth a better understanding of what it means to love thy brother as you love thyself. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you, too, for the invitation to be a part of it. I mean, you know, you've had experience in the past with folks like me, and it would be easy, I imagine, to put me into a category and protect yourself from the sort of person that you have encountered in that category, but you didn't do that. You were open. You were vulnerable. You were a truth teller at every turn. You didn't let it slide. You weren't in it to just make me feel good. (laughs) But thank you for saying yes when you didn't have to. And when maybe even past history would have said, maybe shouldn't. Well, I tell you, those same adjectives and that same thinking, I could articulate of our relationship because I'm sure that you too We're not sure if I really believe that you really wanted to go down this road in conversations. And so you have, as I've said, in my opinion, for those brothers and sisters of the white denominational spaces, to have someone like you speaking from a place of vulnerability and a place of transparency, I think it's going to help those that listen to our podcast maybe take some more risk, maybe help lessen their fear of how they could approach some ways in their own personal ministry, but also in their larger ministry, helping to move the needle in the arena of social justice. So thank you for being true. Yeah, well, I again, it's been an honor for me. Well, I told you, we didn't want Tarzan to come into our neighborhood, and we didn't need Tarzan. We... <laughs> You know, we uh, there's something good in the neighborhood, and That's we right. just we just need some brothers that are willing to listen and willing. We talked about it before. We talked about I think it was action advocacy, and there was another A word mm-hmm. we alluded to as we began this conversation. And we're so glad that this action, our action, resulted in the development and the birth of the Shades of Hope podcast that we are so. So thankful that has been birthed and is growing. 
Well, this is our last episode of season two. Wow. And I mean, it's gone fast and it's been amazing. We've had great guests, but I thought maybe what we could do here as we close down season two and prepare for season three, which by God's grace and by the kindness of the Center for Congregations, we are going to be able to have season three. We're really excited about that. We're actually going to put out a preview for season three that'll be coming up soon. But Pastor Moore, as we reflect on season two, what are some of the takeaways that you have? What are some of the moments? What are some of the hopeful bits that we found from the guests and the conversations that we were able to have? Yeah, I think there were so many. And I'm glad we're having this conversation because I'm hoping that if someone just literally picked up the podcast at this review or this Mm -hmm. reflective time, that they'll go back and listen to the content of season two. One thing that stood out to me was something that Pastor Scott Dudley said in one of our very early season two episodes. And he realized that he had to go back and look at scripture with another lens in order to really be able to share and teach his congregation through discipleship, he talked about the importance of discipleship, how they could begin to see Scripture more through a social justice lens. You know, not every Sunday, but but spending some time. And he began to share with us that very moment the church was birthed in Acts chapter 1, when he said, isn't it amazing that after the resurrection, Jesus did not start the church until the day of Pentecost? Yeah. Then he said this, Because on the day of Pentecost, there were believers from every nation. Hmm. Isn't that a kind of a prophetic thinking that maybe God wanted everybody of every hue to be a part of his church? And I thought that was an amazing revelation in my mind, hearing it from a, you know, white evangelical Presbyterian pastor. (laughs) (laughs) It blessed me, Uh, I tell you. That's one highlight. What about yourself? What about yourself? Well, I think, you know, as I reflect back on my own personal growth, like where have I been impacted on the journey that we've been on, particularly with the podcast, the importance of empathy as a spiritual practice, as a discipline. Hmm. Dr. Dennis Edwards wrote the book, Might from the Margins, and the book is about what we can learn from those who have been historically oppressed or marginalized and what they have to show us about who God is. And I think about Jesus and the disinherited. We both spoke about that regularly, Howard Thurman. And just this idea that I have to force myself as a white male in our society to step into places where people who are not like me experience pain. Wow. And if I'm not willing to do that, I can't do anything else. I mean, the first step in practicing justice is to feel the weight of the pain of injustice. Yeah. And, you know, we're recording this week and a couple of days after the Buffalo shooting. And I realized when I found out about it that it was instinctive, actually, for me to swipe that away and move on to the next story. Right. To just quickly see the headline, quickly move on, 
and protect myself because I had the option of doing that. And one of the things that I've realized is that I need to linger in those places where I would typically want to move quickly away from and experience and in some way try to feel the pain of my brothers and sisters who can't escape the reality that the color of their skin puts them in danger. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of that horrific incident and how I had to approach that very next morning because it happened on a Saturday and I had to go into the midst of a facility that's filled, you know, with 98% African-American people who were hurting, angry, and afraid. All those emotions. And I remember one of our guests in season two shared with us, and this wasn't during the podcast, but later on we had a conversation with Pastor Todd Fisher of the Mm -hmm. Christ Church there in Brett Ripple here in Indianapolis. And he said that there was a situation where one of his elders were praying a prayer and asked God to help us, help us in this arena when it comes to social justice. And the elder was kind of scolded by another member as to why he called it a social justice issue. And so I say that to say this, is that so many of my white brothers and sisters who call themselves Christians, for whatever reason, want to rationalize and try, as you said, to compartmentalize these kinds of discussions because either it's too painful, it's too shameful, or they're fearful of losing something that they think they have. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, the challenge, I think, in our segregated congregational life is that when we think about the church, we think about the building we sit in on Sunday mornings. That is a church building. The church is much bigger than that, right? Absolutely. And so if we take Paul's words to the Corinthians, for instance, when he says, if one part of the body suffers, Mm. the whole body suffers. Then when our brothers and sisters at New Era are grappling with the reality of something like Buffalo or George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or, 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 or if we can't see that pain as our pain, then we have misunderstood what the body of Christ is. Absolutely. You know, it was Dr. J, you know, we, mm-hmm. Dr. Augustine, we had a, a really dynamic conversation with him in season two. That's right. And he talked about the various aspects of reconciliation, and that's what you're speaking to. Mm-hmm. He talked about salvific reconciliation, and, you know, that's something you learned in seminary, you know, yes. uh, in those big, large, very progressive white evangelical seminaries. You guys, boy, you understood salvific reconciliation and grace and personal grace and salvation. But then he said there's another element in that, and that's the horizontal bar of the cross, and that is social reconciliation. How am I getting along with my brother. Yeah. Then, of course, he talked about the bottom part of that cross, what he called civic reconciliation. I call it systems reconciliation. Yeah. But that was a great conversation because I think so often my white brothers and sisters will put a lot of weight on salvific reconciliation, and we know that's the most important, but it's predicated. God said these words. 
how can you say you love me whom you have not seen mm-hmm. and hate or neglect yeah. and not see your brother whom you are with every day? And he goes yeah. on to say this, strong words. If you do, the truth is not in you. Yeah. And that's a strong indictment, in my opinion, for any of us, whether it's a black man looking down on a red man or a white man looking down on a brown man. It, you can't be, it's Jesus and justice, not Jesus or justice. It's Jesus and justice. <laughs> I loved Dr. J for a number of reasons, but mostly because he used gumbo as his metaphor. Ah, yes. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a gumbo fan, body by gumbo, but yeah, just the way that he uses that as a guiding way of thinking, a metaphor for thinking about what it is to be the church, that we need all of these different ingredients. I mean, it's the first Corinthians 12 passage, which is the body's a unit, though it is made up of many parts. They all form one body, right? He, so he says, it's like good gumbo. Yes, he did. Taking all of those individual ingredients all of them work together to not have an individual ingredient taste, but to create something completely different out of the sum of the parts, something wow. better than any of them individually could be. Could be alone. And that, Amen. you know, and I think that's the beauty. And I, if I could encourage any of my white brothers out there or sisters out there who are pastoring and leading in white spaces, find people who are not like you, who do not share the same experience and ethnicity and race as you do, and be in relationship with them. I mean, I think that's the other thing that we learned throughout this podcast is proximity is really, really important. Yes, absolutely. You know, that's what Pastor John told us. Pastor John there at the Presbyterian Church right here in our town. Yep. Pastor Gable said that, hey, because here he is my age, you know, 60, you know, and... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now my congregation think I'm 42, but of course you I just have stopped to be counting a, at 42. I, 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 yeah, it. I stopped counting. But yeah. anyway, I said I asked him. I said, John, you've been a white pastor in your 60s. How did you come to this place where you have now the affinity and the elasticity to really ask these tough questions? And that's what he said. He said, Clarence, it's because I have gotten in proximity. With people different than me. That's right. And it's such a powerful piece. You can't be the same when you get to know people who are different than you and you realize, wow, some of the stereotypes are not always true. Mm -hmm. It gives you just a different glimpse of people. Yeah. That's right. I want to go back to our listeners. As you're listening to us, we talked about the trauma of what happened in Buffalo. And I think that we had another guest during season two. She is a therapist. And matter of fact, she's on your staff. Yes, she is. Minister Hazel Yep. dealt with the trauma that the African-American community continues to experience every time we see injustices, whether it be a white supremacist taking a gun and hurting people and killing people, or whether it be trying to negate the vote yeah. of a person because they don't think or look like you. 
That's right. And she talked about the trauma. And I can think of a better conversation to have, especially for black and brown people who are marginalized so often in America, the yeah. trauma we experience every day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't fathom what it would be like for you, for your congregants, for anyone, any person of color in our country, you know, to walk into a grocery store the week after that happens. Like, you know, if it can happen in Buffalo, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, where can't it happen? Which means it can happen everywhere. And I think there is a compounding effect. And this is what Hazel told us. There's a compounding effect that people carry in their bodies, the trauma of those incidents that continue to happen. And, you know, I thought she did a great job of maybe demystifying the importance of therapy. Yeah. And really making it what I thought was a beautiful invitation for those who might think, well, you only go to therapy if there's something really wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And in fact, therapy can be very helpful, even if you don't present with something that might seem very, you know, serious, but that if you have existed in that black or brown body, you have trauma and it's helpful to find spaces where you can unpack that and experience some healing from that. Yeah, because there is a predominantly grocery store right down from our church. Our church is in the neighborhood in the urban context. And I went through there the other day and I couldn't help but think of this is what it was like there at the Tops grocery yep. store in Buffalo and just the people working there. Yeah. The trauma that every time that door opens, yep. you know, is this going to be a moment? It's a reality. Yep. And it doesn't have to be this way if we would take our heads out of the sand yeah. and stop calling what is theological political. That's right. And what is political theological. That's a very interesting way of phrasing this conversation. Can you unpack that just a little bit? Yeah. I think I know what you mean, but I just think helping us think through that could be really, really instructive. It's theological for us to have this conversation and to walk in this actualization of the fact that God did not intend for any man to be better or God did not create an environment where America is supposed to be homogeneous and only for white folk. Yep. And that the Bible is very clear about what is theological that sometimes people want to call political. Yeah. And then we have folk that want to take their political aspirations and wrap it around the Bible. Yep. That's what I mean by that, calling that which should be theological political and calling that which is political theological. Gosh, that's so good. So good. We've got we've to figure a way to unpack that. Yep. And be able to identify it, you know? Well, see, so so often I talk to my white brothers and sisters, they say, well, I can't preach about that because people think I'm preaching political. Yeah. Well, what's political about loving your brother as you love yourself? That's right. That's I, right. I, don't, I don't, what's political about 
trying to to look at the Good Samaritan text in a social justice manner. That's right. There's some really rich theological teachings that even Jesus tried to get the church to see. And you mentioned Dr. Howard Thurman. And if you guys who are listening haven't had a chance to understand who he is, be sure and look him up. Yeah. He was a teacher and mentor of Dr. Martin Luther King and so many others. And one of the first black pastors that pastored a predominantly white church out in California. But anyway, he talked about the fact that he wonders sometimes if the Jesus that our white evangelical church, not all, but that some worship is the same Jesus of the marginalized. That's right. Hmm. That's right. Yeah, very early on when we started the church, we made a decision that we weren't going to put a flag on the stage. You know, a lot of evangelical Protestant churches, in my tradition, you would have the American flag on one side and you'd have the Christian flag on the other side. And we just said, we are not going to put, because we put the cross up there too. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden you're creating an image that has mixed signals and we didn't want to send those signals. Wow. You know, I'm also very grateful to have been born in the United States. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I am thoroughly yeah. grateful for the opportunities and the experiences that I have as a citizen of the United States. But I don't want to conflate that to the same thing as God's kingdom. Absolutely. It's still a fallen kingdom in the world of fallen kingdoms. And there is only one king to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess one day. And there's only one kingdom eternally, and that's God's kingdom. And if we get those two things too close together, we lose sight of where our citizenship is and who our allegiance is to. Then we can easily start going down a road of defending and protecting the vision that we think God's kingdom is. And so eventually we find ourselves in a rally in Washington, D.C. and on the steps of the Capitol. You know what I mean? Wow. The through line gets there quick. Right. With both the Christian flag and the flag with the swastika Mm. and the American flag all waving through the Capitol as if they are co-equal. That's right. When there is no power greater than God, not even our political party should never be equal to our institution of the church. And you're so right. We have, America is in trouble because we have conflated the two and we've got to find a way out of that. You know, we talked to one of our young African-American pastors, Pastor Raffitt was one of our most listened to podcasts. And he talked about, as a young African-American man, the disillusionment that could come with this constant drumbeat of starting over. We make a little progress, set back. Make a little more progress, set back. And that seems to be the rhythm that we unfortunately are seeing when it comes to racial and social justice in America. You know, we listen to podcasts too, Pastor. That's right. And we listen to a podcast. As a matter of fact, you found it between Dr. I think it's Walter Fluker. Yeah. I actually didn't find it. It was sent to me by one of my congregants, which just as an aside, 
Yeah. Is so heartwarming when a congregant, <laughs> yes, separately on their own, yes, is doing work of self discovery and formation, and they find a resource that I didn't know anything about and they send it to me. I'm just like, the podcast was amazing, but that was like one of those green shoots coming out of the ground where you're like, okay, the spirit's at work, you know, <laughs> something's happening. I often say, I forget who coined this phrase, but there are times that God will allow the pastor to see his fruit on one of the congregants' trees. Yes. And that's the result of your teaching and your pleading and your employing. There are folk out there getting it and they're listening. And so this reverse pollinization where instead of you feeding them, now they're feeding you. That's right. So you can continue to feed them. That's right. And so Dr. Fluker talked about this and he got these words from Dr. Howard Thurman. He said, could it be that America uh, was a school? I know Dr. Uh, I shouldn't call this name because I know it's going to make some folk want to click off the podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and call this name. <laughs> I used to hear uh, President Barack Obama call America an experiment. And I didn't really understand why he kept calling it an experiment. But what Dr. Fluker was saying is from Dr. Howard Thurman was that, could we have been, God said, you know, I, I've got a space where I want to create this place that's more like what heaven is going to be like. And I'm going to call it America. Mm. where you got all people from all walks of life coming together in a space, regardless of how it happened and the foundation of it. That, that, that me, if I can create a, a more perfect union mm-hmm. of people, this rainbow coalition of ethnicities that are going to love each other in the name of Jesus. That's right. And he said, but could it be the school is almost out? That mm. This experiment is not working. And boy, I tell you, in 2022, we know that our democracy, as they want to call it, I'm not so sure anymore that all of America wants to see that kind of multi-ethnic, multicultural equality in our great country. Yeah. You know, the evidence is everywhere. I mean, we're getting ready to go into the election cycle and the rhetoric is thick and it's laced. And sometimes it's not even laced at all. Sometimes it's just very overtly, obviously racial. Yeah, it's not a dog whistle. It's a it's a dog horn. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just not veiled anymore. It's so disheartening to see. You're so right. And the Church of Jesus Christ, you know, we hear all the time. Bonner Research is telling us that our relevance in our culture is diminishing every year. Mm-hmm. But that was another great thing that we had a chance to talk to the young African-American pastor who's kind of saying, you know, man, it's almost delusioning. And then John from, what's the city life? Oh, yeah. John Houghton from Young Life. Yes. Yeah. Young, yeah, yeah. young white man. Yeah. Our last episode of the season. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And they give me hope. Yeah. Because John leads a parachurch movement. Yep. And he's right there in Chicago, I think it is. Yep. In the middle of the hood, trying to make a difference. And yet he talks about the struggle of getting his staff and other of that organization to really not just look at this thing, Pastor Jeff, from a, a transactive approach, but really looking at some transformational activities and relationships 
that's going deeper than just doing mentoring and sending food, helping the hungry. You know, I think I'd share this with you. One of the Argentina bishops got a Nobel Prize for feeding the hungry, and everybody was sh- mm. just applauded him. And then he came out the next year and asked the question, well, why are they hungry? Yeah. And they wanted to take away the Nobel Prize. Yep. Don't want to deal with the transformational issue. That's right. But okay with surface transactional, and that it just breaks God's heart. Yep. And that's where I believe the Church of America is right now when it comes to justice. Well, as we wrap up this season. Yes, sir. What gives you hope? Yeah, I think what gives me hope are our young people, young African-American and our young European descent Americans Mm -hmm. beginning to challenge their parents and challenge their pastors and saying, hey, do we have to continue to dwell like this? And so we saw in in some of the marches that they called protests, well, they were protests, but Mm -hmm. of course, people tried to demonize some of those marches, but it was just as many white kids and people out there screaming for justice as it was African-Americans and brown, black people. And so that's what makes me hopeful. Yeah. Seeing people like John Houghton and Mm -hmm. the Todd Fishers and other people listening to this broadcast, your member who sent you that information, people that are saying, hey, I don't want to be complicit anymore. Let me just do something in my little world that would make a difference. Yeah. I don't know why this illustration just came to me, but, (laughs) and I'm sure you've heard this. I'm sure you've probably used this before, but, you know, the question could be asked of us, you know, what do we think we're going to be able to do with our little podcast, you know, (laughs) a couple hundred people listening to it? How's this actually going to move the needle? And I was reminded of that starfish illustration. Have you ever heard this little boys walking along the seashore and, and there's starfish, thousands and thousands of starfish washed up on the shore. Is that right? No. Tell me that one. Yeah. So he's walking along the seashore and there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of these starfish that are washed up. And he's taking them one at a time and throwing them back into the ocean. And an adult comes by and looks at him and says, what are you, what do you think you're doing? There is no way that you are going to be able to help all of these starfish. You can't solve this problem. And he picked up a starfish and he threw it back into the water and he said, I helped that one. (laughs) And I'm like, because the enormity of the conversation feels like that. that. There's just so much work to be done that it could feel futile and almost hopeless to do the thing that we're doing. And yet, like you said, I mean, there are those individuals who have taken seriously the call of the gospel and have given their lives to working toward the beloved community that Dr. King spoke of, that Jesus demonstrated and that the scriptures paint the picture of. And as you always say, which convicts me every time we're together, that one day we are going to stand before our maker and we want to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So pastor, thank you for being an example for me, for those that you shepherd and care for, for those 
who have listened to this podcast. It's just been wonderful to be able to spend this time with you. Well, it has been such a blessing to be able to have enjoyed another season in this, what I call a sacred conversation with you, Pastor Jeff. And I'm so looking forward to to season three, to all of our listeners. As Pastor Jeff would tell us often, is be sure and write us, let us know what you think about our content, our conversation. And until we can be with you again, may the love of God and the sweet communion of his Holy Spirit rest on each and every one of you as you contemplate in your little world, in your little space, how you can make our world more just. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Shades of Hope. We would like to hear from you. Send us your thoughts and questions at Shades of Hope Podcast at gmail.com. That's Shades of Hope Podcast at gmail.com. We would also appreciate it if you could leave us a review and rate us wherever you access this podcast. Thank you again, and may God bless you as you follow Jesus and strive to make this world a better place for all of God's children.